Well, hello there. This is Brian Melanson, and you've tuned in to this episode of the Altitude Sessions podcast, brought to you from our studios here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This episode, we dig into the direct primary care movement going on in rural America, how that might even be a lifeline for some of the things going on in the small group employer market, and we talk about Ashley 2, one of the greatest little new episodes in the Netflix Black Mirror series. Let's have a little fun. Let's go. All right. Well, we are joined by a special guest this week here from the great state of Wyoming. We have uh, Dr. Mike Tracy on the line with us from Powell, Wyoming. You know, we think this is an interesting opportunity to have a conversation with a physician who's looking at the issue that, that really kind of are going at this, this bifurcation of the employer market that we've been talking about in past Altitude Sessions podcasts. We're talking about delivering direct primary care and doing it from a, a smaller, more rural environment and how that's succeeding. So before we get into all that, hi, Mike. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, yeah, I thought we were going to talk about wishing it's like an early Merry Christmas or something. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, uh, I should wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm, uh, I'm getting ready to head over to uh, West Yellowstone on Saturday, and I was looking at the weather report, and, it, and there's snowflakes. So, so it, winter is still alive and well in the mountains of Wyoming. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas back to you too, buddy. Bring me a Christmas present or something. Okay. So let's let's do this real quick, Mike. I mean, you're probably one of the nicest, most humble, and yet most brilliant people I've come across, uh, particularly when we get into this topic. Why don't you take a, just a, a minute or so and talk to folks in, in our audience about kind of who you are and what, what your organization does, and then we'll kind of dig into a few questions here. Okay. Yeah, I'll just uh, introduce uh, what, what I'm doing in Powell with uh, 307 Health and with uh, Dr. Bob Chandler and Dr. Dean Bartholomew. Um, so I've been in Wyoming since 2002, and I came here as a hospital-employed physician and uh, did internal medicine, pediatrics, inpatient, outpatient, um, and nursing home, uh, kind of the, the standard rural health model, um, but, but kind of uh, just started to see some signs that I wanted to, wanted to do something different, um, and, uh, and really uh, one, of the, one of the books that I, that I read that kind of helped shape that decision was called uh, The Three Signs of a Miserable Job by Patrick Lencioni, and that's since been retitled um, something like How to Increase Employee Engagement, um, but, but it's, uh, I like the original title better. And I just recognized that really uh, somehow the patient-physician relationship was getting lost in medicine, and I just wanted to, to find something to get back to that. And, and I, I really learned a lot about direct primary care Probably around 2014, uh, when I was asked to uh, to do a presentation on the the escalating cost of healthcare in Wyoming for the Joint uh, Health, Labor, and Social Services Committee down in, in Casper, and one of the things that I learned about was direct primary care. So I just I learned about it, learned about uh, the model, and just thought, wow, I wonder if we could make that work. And uh, so Powell is a town of about 6,000 people. We've got a draw of about 10,000 people over in Cody, and then there's a few other communities around that are, you know, 2,000 people. I'm guessing the Bighorn Basin probably has a total of, of maybe 40 to 50,000 people. Um, so people had questions about how we could make something like direct primary care work, and uh, so we we finished our work at the hospital, and uh, neither of us had, uh, Dr. Chandler and I, neither of us had non-compete clauses in our contracts, so we had a a nine-month 
finish out with the hospital, and then we set up 307 Health and uh, started in July of 2015 and and really haven't looked back. And it's really nice to just be able to uh, meet the patients where where they want to be met in terms of delivering health care. So it's a, it's a model that I think can work in, in rural areas. And, uh, and one of the things that I didn't really focus on when we started was the value that it can bring to employers. And that's something that I'm, I'm hoping we'll talk about on this podcast because it's it's uh, it's remarkable actually uh, how how it can it can be a great value to employers as well. So um, I hope that's a, a decent enough introduction. So I'll just I'll just give it back to you, Brian. Yeah, heck yeah. Well, and, and I I want to take that employer comment real quick because you you've been part of some of the things that we've done in the past, and you know that we try to argue both sides and to bring quite a quite a few different perspectives. Saying, gosh, from from the employer perspective, are we are we e- reaching some type of an end run, or is, is there something different that needs to be done in the market to to innovate in that space? And there, there's a lot of discussion right now around is direct primary care one of those things that might be the the impetus for innovating from the ground up and reconstituting what the employer sponsored market looks like? And I mean, you've heard it from the other side. From you know, we've had people like Dan Monroe who you know been part of things we've done in the past with casino healthcare and He's got a very, I would say, anti-employer model. That's probably fair, right? And, I think so. And then I and then I think that, you know, there there are others that that are part of uh, these discussions that are very pro-employer. And I think it'd be interesting to get your take, you know, as a physician on building this direct primary care practice. And does that become like a, a new lifeline for the employer market? And what would that look like? Yeah. So so in Powell, we have a lot of employers. Uh, a lot of small employers, in fact, very few employers who, who would fall under the mandate of the Affordable Care Act. You know, there really aren't a lot of employers that, that have more than 50 employees unless they're part of some national organization, and then, and then they're not as interested in, in what we have to, to offer. But when we, when we started 307 Health, uh, we were approached by, uh, by the management of Heart Mountain Farm Supply, in, in Powell, which is a, uh, basically a small business that, uh, as it sounds, they, they, they sell farm equipment and, you know, tractors and combines and, 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 uh, and they have not, they, they just, they can't afford to pay for insurance for their employees. They, they just, that's not something that they can afford to do as a company, but they want to do something uh, healthcare related for their employees. So at one point they just gave an allowance and just hoped that people would use it towards healthcare, but they couldn't really, um, they couldn't really require that. So they, they started with us and we said, well, look, what, what we want to do is, is set this up and we would like it if, uh, if, if you, you know, if you want to pay your employees uh, monthly membership fee, that's great. Uh, but, but we want to have the contract with the employee. We don't want to have the, the contract with you. So, and, and the reason for that is it, it just gets too muddied if, if we have a contract with the, you know, it, basically we become third party, you know, part of the third party payment system again if they pay us. Um, if, if, they, if, they, if they pay us um, through a contract, you know. And so in other words, we wanted to not fall into what we, what we have in the fee-for-service world where we get paid in April for what we did in October. You know, we just need to have that steady monthly income 
but we want people to truly be able to, to take uh, 307 Health with them if they, for example, if they, if they lose their job or they leave their job with a particular company, it's really pretty seamless if the employee chooses to just pick up the membership cost on their own, they can do that. And we have some companies that sign up with us that, that pay for dependents and some that don't. And so we really, we, you know, we sign the contract with, with the employees, but the employer pays for it. Um, and I think that, that that really puts us in a nice place, and it makes me think that, that regardless of what happens with the employer-sponsored insurance model, there, there could be a role for primary care to provide value regardless of how the system changes. Because if you make it so that somebody else is paying for, for, for health care, um, that doesn't necessarily translate into, into somebody taking care of you. you know? so, so coverage does not equal care. And so we have people that are fully covered you know, through Blue Cross Blue Shield, Medicare, and the VA, and yet they see great value in being able to have the kind of access that they have to us at the price point that we've selected. So, so it's kind of, uh, you know, I, I do think that, that as far as the employers go, though, they, they really do see great value in, in what we have to offer. And so I'm thinking that, that even if, even if the, the government does end up, uh, you know, taking over health care, which is what some people are predicting, and, you know, paying for all of health care, there's still going to be a role for, for good, solid primary care that, that meets patients where they need to be met. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing, Mike, is if you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and, you know, they're... 55% of all employers that they track, you know, under 100 lives offer medical benefits. You know, it's 45% of the market that doesn't under 100 lives. That's most of Wyoming, last I checked, right? So yep. there, 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 there's a market opportunity that exists here that, that says, gosh, it, it is a, it, it, let's just call it what it is. If, if we're going to do employer-sponsored insurance, we're going to have to live with some kind of world of have and have-nots. There's a bifurcation thing that's happening there, right? Yep. And if yeah, the, I think. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Oh no, I, th- I think I think you're right. There's a bifurcation, and so I, I don't know which way it's going to go, but I think there's a role for direct primary care either way. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I just think that you know, there, there, one of the things that happens even in the in the health insurance executive conversations that I'm part of and others, there there is this concern at some point, and, and I don't I don't think it's at some point anymore. We've kind of reached a point where there's this true acute affordability issue that happens, particularly with small employers, and it may be a different game with with super large employers that have, you know, the publicly traded companies that have huge market caps and other things. And we've talked about that ad nauseum in the past. But, you know, we've got to talk about rural America. We've got to talk about, you know, mom and pop shops that are still on Main Street that, that are the backbone of those types of cities. And what are we doing to take care of them? I mean, there, there was a recent conversation in, you know, in NPR about, you know, a hospital, I believe it was in Fort Scott, Kansas, that closed. And it's a 100-year facility and, and other things. So I guess that leads to another question, you know, is – is direct primary care, is this, is this a way that you can still create some type of a backstop for the community if, if some of these hospital closures that people are predicting in rural America actually happen? Is, is this another model for finding ways to continue to backstop the community, maybe not to the level that a hospital could do, but to at least provide some services in, in the world that we're moving forward? Is that too far-fetched? I mean, talk, to me, talk me through that a little bit. Yeah, so, no, I don't think that's far-fetched at all. I'll tell you a story that, that happened to me shortly after we opened our doors. 
Um, we, we have a, a volunteer medical clinic uh, in, in the Powell-Cody area that has since uh, just transferred all of their operations over to Cody. And, and so, they, uh, so, so the, the executive director of, this, uh, of the clinic uh, came to me, and he's since retired, but he came to me and said, Mike, um, we were wondering if you would be willing to take some of our more complicated patients um, into your practice if we pay their membership. And, and, I, and I said, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to talk about it, but could you explain to me why you would want to do that? And he said, yeah, it's, it's simple because you can do it cheaper than we can. And so I, I turned to Dr. Chandler and I said, do you hear that? We're cheaper than free. Uh, we need to raise our prices. <laughs> um, so he, uh, you know, so, but I think that honestly, that, that the cost effectiveness of, of, this, uh, of this practice is, is pretty apparent to me that, you know, it could be a backstop, and it really wouldn't be that hard, actually, for somebody to figure out a payment model where where you could you could be a safety net, you know. And that's one of the things that I think is really important in what we do, as opposed to, as I understand, concierge medicine, where it's still fee for service, but there's, you know, you sort of you have the, the the plan where you pay extra money, and then you get the the doctor's cell phone number. In our in our uh, practice. You, you really you can't tell who you know you can't tell who's who who's at the poverty level and and who might be very wealthy because we don't treat the people in the model any differently so as far as the, the backstop goes though I, I think that that's uh, you know I, I think that that's something that um, Wyoming could really look at um, at one point there was some interest in having a um, a pilot study uh, with with Medicaid um, using the direct primary care model, but I think that the legislators wanted to wait until there are more practices available to do that, so it didn't appear that they were favoring one community over another. Yeah, how do you respond to like you know you, you the criticism in this industry? Anybody who's been around for a while is always like, you know, what's old is new again. So if you're sitting with some of these executives inside the you know the industry on the on the risk side of the industry, you know, they would say, "Gosh, this just sounds like capitation again." But isn't the difference here? Yeah, maybe it's a capitated model because you're getting some monthly payment from someone somewhere somehow, but it's you're controlling what the services are under the capitated model. You're not being dictated what those things are, and that's a pretty big difference, right? Yeah, it's a big difference, and you know, in a capitated plan, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, gray area in the middle about where you know. I mean, the, the overhead is much more complicated than than it is in this model, so. Yeah, I think I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's a capitated plan because um, well e- even though technically it is it's it's the thing that's different about it is that the the, the physician patient relationship is at the center of it and there's not somebody that's dictating that uh, that relationship. Yeah, and I would imagine I mean I, I I think you and I have talked in the past. I'm part of a direct primary care practice here in Jackson and. I mean, I, I would say my satisfaction with it is it's it's high. I mean, I have opportunity to talk about anything, anywhere, anyhow, uh, when whenever I need to, for the most part. You know, given some 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 restrictions on some of that. You know, there's everybody's got to have a life in this equation a little bit too. But but I, I I do think that there's something about bringing my needs back into the center of this. You know, because hey, I'm, maybe I'm just a selfish bastard. I don't know. But it's you know bringing my needs back in the center of some of this and having a doctor that wants to to listen, interact, and care, and 
not just stare at a, at a computer screen trying to figure out what claim number to punch in and call it a day. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing about the model, too, is that, uh, that, that when, when you get a third-party payer in or a government payer that, that, you know, they, that wants where they want to make sure that they're getting their money's worth, they want to start introducing, you know, complicated equations into the picture. And, and you know, that's, I think that's unnecessary uh, for, for the model. I mean, you know, because, because really the, the entity or the, the, not the entity, but the, the you know, what, what we have to offer is time. That's the value that we have to offer is time. And, you know, it's, it's up to the physician and the patient to decide, how how to spend that time and you know so we don't we don't get into these these discussions about about whether something is medically necessary if if, if a patient's concerned about it then it's medically necessary and I've had discussions with people um, at insurance companies about this and they say well you know what what are you going to do about overutilizers and my response to that is you know I think that works itself out I think there are some people who utilize it a lot but once once you really gain their trust and they realize you are going to be there um you know they 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 don't utilize it as much and it's just an interesting question to be asked from third-party payers when they're not paying for the service in the first place and and because it's not fee for service then overutilization isn't really anybody's issue except except the the patient and the physician you know and so so we we have it in our contract that you know that we that that we we don't really have a contract in the sense that that somebody has to sign on with with us for three years. You know they can they can you know get out of the contract any time. And there's a provision in the contract that we that we can get out of the contract within 30 days. And we've in four years we've never we've never done that. You know there there are some people who do uh, utilize us more than others for sure. But it, it it does it all works itself out, and it's fun to be able to. To, to not have to write letters of medical necessity in terms of justifying office visits because, you know, there's times where you might need to see somebody every day, and that, that's great value. We've taken care of some, for example, with burns, um, to, especially to the hands that are, that are, um, that are managed through, uh, you know, through the burn center in Salt Lake, and, you know, they, they come into the office every day. And in the fee-for-service world, that would generate an enormous cost but for us it really you know it doesn't it doesn't matter we'll see them we'll see them at no additional charge as often as we need to, to 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 help them through whatever's going on with them well and you know uh, dr mike and i almost feel like we here we need to get like a i like dr mike t-shirt or something like screen printed and we all take a picture and send it to you or something but uh <laughs> you know the, the the thing the thing here is that you know i, I we got you know, one of our we, i brought in a little surprise guest so uh, Fan Hughes, who's actually, she's actually managing our marketing and our executive community here at M4, you know, we're excited to have her. One, one of the great things about having someone like Fan on our team and in, involved in discussions like this is she's got a pretty brand new eye to, to healthcare, so she can look at a lot of these things like direct primary care and go at the core, what is it and how does it work? So would you mind if uh, we turned it over to her and let her ask you a couple of questions? Absolutely. Sounds great. Hi, Dr. Tracy. Thanks for being here. Hi, Pam. Yeah. yeah. You bet. Um, so I come from a, a communications background, and um, as we talk about 
um, direct primary care and sort of being there available for the patients and maybe taking on some virtual or digital consultations and moving maybe the, the world moving towards telemedicine. Um, what is your opinion on the pervasiveness of those communication technologies and then also the quality of care that they might um, allow you to provide virtually? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. So I think uh, that, that the virtual digital telecommunications um, ob- obviously is, is a direction that medicine needs to take. Um, I, I, I think that you didn't ask me about this yet, but I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and throw it in there. I, I think that as we change the, the, the barriers, the geographic barriers that, that used to define medicine are no longer there. And because of virtual and digital telecommunications, I'm really hoping that, that somebody can figure out how to have a, a U.S. medical license or to have enough reciprocity that a license in Wyoming uh, is, is valid in, in multiple states, you know, because uh, what's happening now is, is, especially with telecommunications, with, with uh, you know, telemedicine, and even with direct primary care, is people are, are suggesting that, oh, if you, have, if you have a patient in a different state, you need to have a license in that state. Uh, that, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, imagine if you had to have a driver's license in every state that you were going to drive through. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, that it would be a simple thing to do, but I think it would be important so we could standardize some things because I think virtual and digital telecommunications are great, but I also think it's helpful if the person on the other end of the line knows the patient. So if, it's, you know, if it means that the, the patient is going to have an interaction with a stranger every time, they, every time they engage in the service, that probably has less value than if they actually know the person. And so um, I think that, that, uh, that that's, that's something that, that I bring up because I'm, I'm aware of a few different uh, 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 companies that, that uh, employers use where their employees can, can call up a doctor, you know, on an app on their phone. But, but some of them, you know, and the, the idea from the employer is, hey, let's keep people out of the ER because that's expensive. But some of these companies have a rule that, that a patient can't request the same, the same position two days in a row. So, you know, if you call me and, and we have an interaction through a digital app and, and you know, you pres- and, and you're, you're prescribed a medication for a sinus infection and then you have a side effect, uh, if you need to engage my services the next day, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not as good for you if you have to talk to somebody else who, who isn't uh, up to speed on, on what happened and doesn't know the exact uh, conversation that was had. I think some, some continuity issues are going to um, feed into this, into this explosion of virtual and digital telecommunications. So I think direct primary care has a, a great role here with, with this. Um, you know, we, uh, we've taken care of patients that are, that are far away and been able to keep in touch with them. I have a patient that's currently in the hospital in Tokyo, and, and I've actually been in, in communication with her and, and have, have seen the, the issue that, that she has and then was in communication with the infectious disease specialist that's taking care of, of this patient as well. And that's, that's really helpful. So I guess 
to, to get back you know, to, before I hand it back to you. I think virtual and digital telecommunications is great. I think if we can figure out a way to, to do that um, in a way that maximizes the, the likelihood it's going to happen with somebody the patient has a relationship with, then it's going to be super beneficial. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to the valuing the relationship that is already there with the, the physician and the patient. Um, yeah, and how that can transfer over to the virtual world. But thank you. Thanks for answering that. Yeah, you bet. The only thing I was writing down, Mike, in your response, talking about kind of a universal license all over the U.S., I was thinking about all the yeah. states' rights, people going, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, there's going to be some people that go, you're crazy. But here's so here's an example. So I so I, I live probably 30 miles as the crow flies from the, from the Montana border. I take care of people from Montana. I took care of people from Montana when I worked at the hospital. And... And so, you know, the, the, when I worked at the hospital, they never once suggested that I, that I have a Montana license um, because people were, were, you know, driving to, to Wyoming to see me, and they were seeing me in, in Wyoming. Um, and, and so if I called and talked to the patient in, in Montana and they were in Montana while I was speaking with them and then I prescribed a medication to them, you know, am I practicing in Montana or am I practicing in Wyoming? Um, and and so those are those are questions that that are difficult enough when you have a state that you know that you know, that where when you live in a state close to the border. But you know, people even in the fee for service world, you have patients move away and move to another state. And I think that you can provide good care to somebody. Be you know, be providing good advice to your patients who are, for example, traveling through another state. Um, and and really the, the question comes up, where do you need to have a license? Yeah, so, I, th- sure. I think the people that are like listening in places like Manhattan or stuff right now are thinking, what what the hell difference does it make, Montana, Wyoming? You're practicing in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll keep telling them that, yeah, it's the middle of nowhere. Manhattan's awesome. The theater's great. You know, it sucks out here. Don't worry about it. All right. right. Well, let's let's close on this, and and I know you got to run here in a bit based on the time we talked about and agreed about. But the the, the what, what type of where's where's the upside in all this for you guys? I mean, what what type of solutions products do you think are going to be built around the practice that you're bringing to the market? You know, you, what 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 kind of exciting things are you seeing that aren't Blue Cross related that that are unique that people are starting to bring to you to say, gosh, th- this is something we can actually we can work with you. We can actually build something for this employer market. We do something special. What do those things look like going forward? Yeah, so I, I think I think building something so that uh, so that so that it's a a seamless transition for the patient, regardless of, of whether they're with the company or not. At first, companies were, you know, thinking, well, gosh, you know, I mean, do you, you know, who do you work for? Well, we work for the patient, and as as long as as long as the, that relationship stays at the core, then I think I think this is going to work well, and so. I, I really think that, uh, that that continuing to improve the telecommunications in a way that it can be done in a seamless seamless fashion is where is where I where I would really like to head. So, for example, when you when you talk about telecommunications, you know there there are basically there there's so many regulations when you when you do that with a hospital that you have to you know you have to be in it you have to have the patient go someplace to be in a certain room and then the doctor has to be in a certain room 
um, somewhere else. So it's kind of it, it, it hasn't really changed the system that much. I, I would like to, to see communications developed that, that can be real time and yet secure, you know, more, more secure than FaceTiming. So, for example, if you wanted to show me something where, where live video would be helpful, you know, FaceTime is probably not the best thing to do. Um, it's been done before, but, but, you know, I think finding something that's going to be, um, that, that is going to be, uh, uh, safe and secure is good. The other thing that I, I really hope people could help with is, you know, how do you, how do you measure what's happening in these direct primary care practices to demonstrate value? Because most of these practices don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of electronic, um, firepower behind them. So, you know, so when we talk about doing things like, you know, using artificial intelligence to, to, to sort of review, review our metrics, you know, that would be, that would be a great way to, to, to help direct primary care to, to just demonstrate the value instead of just saying, well, we think it's better. You know, it'd be nice to be able to have these small practices have a tool where, where we could just say, yeah, here's, here's how we are, doing measurably in in the you know in some of the metrics that employers want to use because you know at the end of the day employers aren't going to want to just keep keep doing this because they're nice they're they're going to want to see some value for their money it goes i think beyond anecdotes although anecdotes have taken us a long way so far well you know and i I, i'm hopeful that there's some entrepreneur out there listening to this right now going yep i'm working on that right now for you and I'm, I'm thinking through that issue, or I'm getting started on it tomorrow. Thank you for, for instilling and putting the idea in my head. You know, the ideology around being entrepreneurial in this country is really what we're built upon. And, I, you know, I, I think that it's opportunities like what you've just described in just a number of instances where you talked about things where we can improve, you know, the, the centricity of how we, we work with, with human beings in the medical environment. All of that, I think, is, you know, you've provided all, just a roadmap to all sorts of different things that people can be thinking about to, to really deepen their thinking and say, gosh, how do we attack this thing a little bit differently? And I think that it's you know, even going back to your story about you know, where you learn more about this type of model and then you, you really you got on the horse and started riding and you started doing your own thing with your partners and pal. I mean, it takes people like you to really start to move the needle. And that's why it's just been a great honor to spend a little bit of time with you today. And I mean, this has just been it's been a great, great podcast. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of you taking a little time and just just providing your insights well thank you brian and thanks for the thanks for the work that you're doing at m4 innovation and and thank you fan i really really appreciate uh both of you spending some time with me this evening as well yeah thanks so much dr tracy all right well that was uh dr mike tracy from 307 health in powell wyoming it's always a great pleasure to have individuals like dr tracy on the program and you got to meet uh, Fan Yu's from M4 Innovation as well. This is a great addition to our marketing and executive community management team here in our Jackson Hole office. So, all right, so I guess it's just the time where we talk a little bit more about you and your career and some practical career advice and some of the pop culture things that are going on outside of uh, the day-in and day-out stuff we think about in the industry. So uh, stick with me for a bit and let's, uh, you know, oblige me. Let's talk about this most recent opening episode of the fifth season of Black Mirror, and I don't know if a lot of you watch that on Netflix, but, you know, I mean, the episode itself, there was a time Kristen and I were looking at each other, uh, you know, uh, sitting on the couch going, gosh, this feels a little formulaic, and it's not the type of Black Mirror, for those of you who are 
who avidly watch it. It's not the type that quite candidly scares the shit out of you when you think about all the convergence of technology and the things that are going on out there. And this one, you know, felt a little more predictive, predictable. It felt a little bit more formulaic, a little bit more scripted. But this episode, I'm, I'm not going to get into all the spoiler stuff around it, but it involved Miley Cyrus. It involved her playing, uh, I guess, a very, very close to the true form of life role of, of a pop star. And, you know, it's, it was an interesting episode. It was one where, you know, it had the the overeager aunt, the family member that manages the business that, you know, wants to put Miley in her role, uh, in this case, Ashley in her role, Ashley O in her role to effectively fit into the box that the pop star kingdom and all of her fandom wants her to live through and be and be that person in this larger in life, happy-go-lucky, isn't everything great in my, my world, a little bit scripted, very, very fake uh, in a lot of ways, but delivering on the promise to the fans. You know, that, that was, it's, it's an interesting show. There's a lot that goes on in it. You know, probably of, of interest with us was is this, this adaptation of a about a foot-high doll that you could buy that was the the manifestation of of Ashley O's personality is called Ashley 2 T O O and you know Ashley 2 is this AI enabled doll that that folks could could get and you could put you know in your your uh, house and could actually become like this this uh lookalike friend that allowed you to connect with with Ashley the pop star and in a more meaningful and personalized way because the AI personalized things to you. You know, we've talked in the past about the roles of virtual assistants and how that may trump the brand promises that you're building in your business today. You know, we've talked about a lot of that stuff in the past and, and you know, the in past podcasts even. The thing that I found interesting here is that the things that were talked about in this episode aren't that far off. I mean, the, these things are being developed now. So it had some, you know, life is stranger than fiction feel to it I, I what i what i think is interesting to to us in there was an article that came out after from in pitchfork by jillian mapes that that wrote kind of the episode and the formulaic approach of the episode and how it kind of felt it, it had moments that were pretty good and it had moments that were like yeah you know i mean gosh it's pretty predictable but you know the the thing that that it really gets into is this theme around, and this is the leadership part for you, is this theme around, you know, pop stars are these prisoners. They live in these this box, and they have to be this perfect entity. In our Instagram society, we feel that way too. That that translates a bit to folks that are in higher level leadership roles inside your company. And you may be one of those people where, you know, the old axiom, the higher up you get, the lonelier you become. There's There is some truth to that. But, you know, the lesson of the breakthrough in all of this, in, in my mind, is that, you know, in real life, and this is what, what Jillian Mapes makes in her article, the point she makes in her article, is that these pop stars really aren't damsels in distress, the way that this this episode kind of kind of typecasts them, if you will. They're just miserable beings being pushed by out-of-control family members. And there are plenty of stories, you know, the Britney Spears and other things that have played out over the years uh, with, with, you know, folks that are close to, to my age generationally. We, we know those stories, and there is probably some, some uh, truth to some of that stuff. But, but the reality is most, you know, a lot of pop stars, they aren't these damsels in distress. They aren't these people in distress. They may have lonely, isolated lives where they have to be personal. They have to feel personally connected to all their members and, and all their all the folks that subscribe to their fan clubs and part of the fandoms and, and this and that. But the the reality is 
the folks that have been really successful pop stars in this this big label world of formulaic pop, nondescript, unoriginals pop, the people that just follow the script, the formula, the things that they're fed, they, they typically don't stand out or they don't last very long. The super icons in this industry, you know, the Taylor Swifts and others, they almost reinvent themselves every time they do a new album or this and that, and they push the formula. They push it and move forward. I remember when Taylor Swift came out with her last song or her first song that, that kicked off the Reputation Tour. I thought it, originally, I thought it sucked. But the longer I listened to it, I'm like, all right, it's different. Maybe it doesn't suck. It was just different. It didn't fit the formula of what I thought her music was. Listening to all the, you know, the more happy-go-lucky crap that she put out prior, it, it, was, it was a little bit more real, a little bit more raw. You know, the, the whole thing, you know, Taylor Swift's dead and with the phone call thing and everything else is just different, unique. It pushed boundaries. But the point of the article here in Pitchfork is in the, the lesson even for you is that a, as a leader, even though you may feel lonely and even though at times you may feel like you're being put in a box and you have to perform this way and you have to have social media posts on LinkedIn and others that are this way and they have to be perfectly scripted and they have to be beautiful and they have to meet the expectations of what the market thinks you are. At some point to stand out, you got to move beyond the formula. You got to get beyond the formula. You got to push boundaries. You got to do unique things. There's books out there that have just come out in 19 and one's considered, you know, now are already reaching kind of, cult level fame of you know one's called loon shots which was you know talks about how to really nature the crazy ideas and the idealist around them and what that looks like and what the world would be like if we didn't have those type of people some of the stories that are in it are pretty fascinating and i give it stars and credit on that the actual discussions itself aren't necessarily that that different and some of the the research and the original foundational thinking is 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 pretty much in line with other books like it but the stories around the the people and the idealists and you know the world wars we fought and using lasers to to track speed of things and other things the the original crazy people that brought those ideas they 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 pushed beyond the boundary they pushed beyond the formula the world needs those people the world needs people like you to think that way too healthcare needs people like you to think that way so if there's anything here just just remember and kind of rolling it back to this black mirror first episode here in season five we're not all prisoners. We don't have to sit at the end of a conference table always feeling like we have to act the way people expect us to act. There are times when it's time to push the boundary a little bit, to push the pace a little bit, because this industry has been status quo for so long because there's too much of that that already goes on. There's too many leaders that do that. You've got to stand out. If you want to be different, if you want to reach that that stage, that next level in your career, that next step up, you've got to take a different approach. You've got to take a different step. And that's what's important. And sometimes it may be a scary, holy shit moment. And even going back to the Loon Shots book, you know, there, there are things that for years have been turned down. People said, you're an idiot. And a lot of people listen to us where we're trying to balance out the perspectives of, is there a world in employer-sponsored insurance or is there not? And we want to create balanced perspectives, like in the discussions we just had with, with, with Mike Tracy. He's got a viewpoint on employer-sponsored insurance that he believes he's solving for a very specific niche in that, that market, and, and it works. And it works in rural America, and it works in other places, and it's great. It's great to have those viewpoints. It's also great to say, oh, my God, what the fuck would happen in this world if we didn't have it anymore? And who's prepared to live in that world? And is that, Are those the Medicare leaders? Are those other people? And that's, that's all I'm saying. 
we want to have the debate balanced on both sides and then you know get to some solutions and some strategic planning contingencies that allow us to plan moving forward you guys as as leaders don't always follow the formula don't always think about the formula the formula in healthcare has led to this very expensive world that's been good for some people it's been good for r&d it's been good for advancing innovation in our country and really all over the world but it's also getting to the point where it's so damn expensive that is it starting to create some issues economically for folks and i think we're already beyond that point for for folks that are on the lower end of the scale so it's it's just thinking through all of that and balancing out that perspective that's important so i'll leave that with you again we are not prisoners of the formula we can think differently we can get together and do things differently we can partner differently we can invest differently we just have to take the time to do it so i'll leave you with that have a very nice weekend and we look forward to seeing you here in a couple weeks Again, this is Brian Melanson, Altitude Sessions, brought to you by M4 Innovation. We'll talk soon. Thanks.